Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome, everyone, to episode 57 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and it is Thanksgiving weekend. I'm sure you guys are preparing your turkeys, gathering with family, friends, and I'm sure you have lots to be thankful for. I, for one, am very thankful for having health, being able to do a job that I consider so much fun, and to be able to talk to you guys week in and week out, and to see those around me very healthy as well. I'm excited about this Thanksgiving episode. Big movie coming out this week called Coco. It's Pixar, and guess what? They have returned to form. I chat with Adrian Molina. He is the Mexican-American co-director of Pixar's new movie, and uh, it is currently out in theaters right now. We discuss why Coco is not a Mexican film for Mexicans, and we talk about why it really is a film for everyone. Also, we chat with Mexican filmmaker Guillermo Arriaga. He is known for writing some of the best Latino movies this century, such as Amores Perros, 21 Grams, Babel. Well, now he's sharing all of his knowledge on screenwriting and directing in a new seminar in Los Angeles. He'll tell us what you can expect from this immersive workshop. And finally, we chat with Amy Garcia, known for her role as Ella Lopez in Fox's Lucifer. She discusses with me season three of the show, plus reveals the time she got mugged, as well as hanging out with Eva Longoria, Gina Rodriguez, and other Latina actresses who are also affectionately called the Latina Mafia. I love it. It's a great interview, so keep your headphones on. This is the Highly Relevant Podcast. Pixar has a new movie out called Coco, and it's the first ever Latino-themed animated film the studio has ever done. It takes place in Mexico and centers around a young boy whose dream is to become a musician like his great-great-grandfather Ernesto de la Cruz. Co-director Adrián Molina, also the first Hispanic to direct a film at Pixar, he's joining me now in person to discuss cultural authenticity, the challenges that came from that, and why the movie is not just for Mexicans. Once every year, our ancestors come back to our world. Please have a safe journey. To see family (laughs) and friends. But no living person has ever visited their world. Until now, Adrian, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. You know, let's uh, let's begin with uh, with the congratulations. Uh, Mexico, uh, your movie Coco is the highest grossing film in the history of Mexican of Mexico. It, it's crazy. That, ha- that is wacky. Because I know there's <laughs> been a lot of challenges. Uh, I understand it's six years to just do this particular movie. Yeah. So much research that went into it. 
to then finally get the Mexicans to embrace a, a movie that was not made in Mexico, it was made in the United States, but for a, re- a representation of the culture of Mexico. Yeah, it was always something where we, you know, never took it for granted that that um, anyone was, was, you know, what anyone was going to feel about this film. But we always approached it with the intention of wanting to, you know, it's it's a film about a real place and a real tradition, and we. Um, you know, wanted so much to represent that tradition faithfully and represent the people in 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 a way that reflected the love they had for their families and for their culture. And it's, it's also, you know, my family and my culture. But you're Mexican American. I'm Mexican American. Where were you born? Um, I was born in uh, uh, California, in Yuba City. Um, but my dad is from Southern California, and my mother is from Jalisco. And and so from a personal standpoint, you know, I always wanted this film to to be reflective of of you know the, all the things I love about my family and my culture. But as a team, um, we just we we knew that we wanted this film to to be a love letter. Um, but but you know what you intend and and what other people perceive um, are very different things. But the the fact that that this film has been received. Um, uh, you know, in the same way that we intended is is uh, is an achievement. Feel very good. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 so glad um, about that. This is the first Latino theme themed animated film, correct? I, that Pixar has done. Um, I be- yes, I believe so. That in itself is historic. Uh, <laughs> it's something that I particularly have been waiting for for a long time. I'm 43 years old, and so. Um, all the Pixar films that I have seen, uh, the, I think the only Latin sort of tinge that I've seen in a Pixar film was in a Toy Story movie where Buzz Lightyear was doing like a flamenco dance mm-hmm. or something yeah, along those a, lines. There's a, a, a Spanish version. I, so I guess that would be like a Hispanic <laughs> <laughs> angle. Um, uh, I, I, I think in Up, the, the Tapuis are inspired by um, uh, South America. Is it Venezuela? Um, uh, but but other than that, um, this is the one that really leads yeah. into a, a specific cultural angle. With so much underrepresentation of Latinos on screen, um, what was Pixar's initial motive to do Coco, and, and and why has it taken so long for us to finally see a movie like Coco mm-hmm. on the screen from Pixar? Well, the the process at Pixar when we develop any new idea is it's you know always director driven. So this film, you know, uh, started with Leon Critch and and. He, um, you know, was familiar with Dia de Muertos, um, uh, um, just in terms of, of the imagery and, and, and living in L.A. and, and, and seeing the celebration. Um, uh, but at, when he started thinking of maybe developing a film around uh, around the celebration, then he started to do a lot of reading and a lot of research and a lot of deep diving. And it became clear that, that you know, within the, the celebration and the culture and the themes uh, associated with the, the holiday, um, there was a really deep... Um, uh, connection to this idea of family and the duty right. to remember your family and 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 and, and music and love music and, tradition. and love and and what it means to to know your own story and that's the type of thing at, from a storyteller standpoint that is very you know juicy material to to create drama to create um a narrative 
Um, so it wasn't like it, it wasn't really born out of this thought of of um, creating a, a sp- particular story about a particular culture, mm. um, uh, so much as just the fact that that it is a, a beautiful and captivating and unique tradition. Um, that being said, as we approached, um, uh, you know, making this film, doing the research, uh, 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 you know, what was interesting is that it wasn't it wasn't motivated by some people think is like, oh, you're trying to capture a certain part of the Hispanic market or oh, you're trying to. to there was no agenda. behind. There was no agenda behind it besides the fact that that it, it was a beautiful tradition that spoke to something in the humanity in Leon Critch. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I was drawn to the project, you know, from, from the standpoint of, of one, I, I wanted to, you know, explore um, the Mexican culture and narrative. Um, I love working at Pixar and we tell such beautiful stories and I thought, oh yes, what a wonderful opportunity to, you know, express some of my experience on screen. But you're also the first Hispanic director to be involved in a, a uh, in, in, a, in a Pixar film as well. Um, uh, uh, yes, as a director, I believe that is also true. Um, Another historic moment. Yeah. Yeah, for, for directors and animators who are involved <laughs> in something like this because, you know, the thing about Pixar is it is the highest echelon of animation um, probably in the world. And, 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 and it's so great to see one of us uh, in there, mm-hmm. you know, at, in a position of power to shape and influence stories like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that all of those things, yes, are true. I, I, again, uh, <laughs> the way I've always approached it has been just from the standpoint of, of um, you know, loving to tell stories and, and depending on my own experience to help me do that and that was true when I was working on Toy Story 3 it was true when I was working on Monsters University I felt like I had a special connection to this story um, uh, because of, of its Mexican roots but but we were also still doing the same things that we always do which mm-hmm. is trying to find this common humanity this this story that would be able to um, touch a lot of people um, and but but it, it, it has been something that um, I'm very thankful for and very proud of the fact that the studio always wanted to um, to present the story in a way that, that, you know, people like me could be proud of, that the country of Mexico could be proud of, um, uh, but that also had a really optimistic and important message for people who may be unfamiliar with this tradition and, and, and the family structure. Um, well, that, that they would see something that they recognize. That's one thing that I did want to say. So, you know, when we found out that Coco was coming out several years ago, there was this immense pride by a lot of Latinos. But then the conversation started happening and the Colombians were like, hey, why can't we get a Colombian mm-hmm. film? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, talk about how this film really isn't about necessarily... Mexico, and yeah. it's more about the universal themes of love, life, and, and tradition. And, and, and you know, I, I really do want to emphasize the point that, that with this film, it was never an intention to create a, a definitive Mexican film or, 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 or a film about Mexico for the sake of making a film about Mexico. It was a, it was a definite plus side in the mm-hmm. process of telling this family about uh, the story about the, a specific family but you know for us we we knew that 
uh, a large portion of the audience would need to be invited into this tradition so that they could experience what it has to teach on a global level, which is the importance of remembering the people who came before you, that duty that you have to keep their stories alive, and that that is the method by which you stay connected to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an idea that comes from a Mexican tradition, but that um, anyone can apply to their life to... to um, change their perspective and and see the world in such a way that um you know you become connected to your own history you become connected to your own traditions and it's really a really beautiful and optimistic and healthy way to look at the idea of of death and the fact that it doesn't have to be an end if you um if you maintain that connection through through remembrance through talking with your family um, those are always the things that we knew in, in the storytelling realm um, uh, were our touchstones. Those are the things that whether you're from Ohio, like Lee, whether you're from a Mexican-American family, whether you're from Japan or mm-hmm. Russia or, or South America, th- this is the thing that everyone is going to um, connect to. Right. Uh, let's talk about authenticity for a second. Mm-hmm. You guys are known as being hardcore people when it comes to getting it right. Mm -hmm. Um, How long did it take in terms of research? How much traveling did you have to do? How much fact-checking did you guys have to do in Mm -hmm. order to get this right to the point that you felt satisfied with you know what? We don't need to research anymore. Yeah, uh, we wanted to hit it from every angle (laughs) and from very (laughs) early on. So the moment that um, Lee got the green light to start uh, 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 developing this story, um, he and his core team at that point traveled down to Mexico for Dia de Muertos. And every year, uh, just about since then, um, some faction from Pixar has gone down to experience the holiday because... Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, because, and, and that's the thing, is this has been a six-year process, and that's afforded us the opportunity because this event only happens once a year to <laughs> see it over the course of, of, of many years. That's a, that's almost a decade. I mean, do you guys do anything in between those times? Or Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in between times, we had a wonderful group of um, uh, cultural consultants who uh, we've never done this at Pixar before, but wanted to invite people from outside the studio to be a uh, early part in seeing how the film is developed because we wanted that insight and we wanted the questions and we wanted um, you know people to be very critical about um, what we were doing in the story. Um, so you wanted the feedback we wanted to see what feedback. you could do right or what's going wrong. Exactly or? because there were there were moments where our initial impulse um, uh, wasn't quite on target and and so we wanted to encourage people to be brutally honest so that um, so that we could um, have a film that that by the end you know felt like it 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 showed with all honesty and and in total faithfulness to mm-hmm. the culture and the traditions what this is all about um, and and that was that was not only helpful in in doing that it also helped to make the story better and richer and you know I'm Mexican American but right. I, I still only come from one one aspect of of of, of experience and to have a room full of you know 12 to 15 different people from the Mexican and Latino experience talking about their families and talking about what's what they have in common and talking about what's really weird and specific about that <laughs> one ant really helped us to be able to um, tell a story that didn't have to represent 
every experience, but represented an honest experience. And I think people watch that and feel that and fall in love with the family because of that. And my final question, Adrian, you are a sense of pride for many Latinos just because of what I had said before. We rarely see uh, Latino directors in animation at this level. Um, Talk about the industry. How many directors do you know that are of Hispanic heritage uh, Mm -hmm. that are working at Disney or working maybe you have colleagues in in other places? I know Jorge Gutierrez is a Mm -hmm. a Hispanic director. Um, He's supporting this film as well. He did a movie called Book of Life. Um, but what else do you think? How can you help in inspiring other, perhaps young Latinos to to enter mm-hmm. uh, the animation world and become directors such as yourself? Um, uh, I I think you know I think it's incumbent upon uh, the directors who exist in the industry right now to recognize that there is a wealth of talent um, uh, in in you know, voices of color, uh, 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 you know, voices of all genders. Um, and, and that it is, <laughs> it is only the studio's loss to not recognize that talent and foster it and, and allow, um, uh, allow really, um, insightful people to tell really beautiful stories that connect. I know that there's a thirst in the audience. I know that there is the talent in the community. And what I love about working at Pixar, especially on a film like this, is it, it, it has been the opportunity for so many artists, not just me as a director, but so many artists from so many different backgrounds to blossom and, and show um, uh, their skills. And, and, and you know, I can feel that there's this real appreciation for the fact that, that having a, a diverse set of opinions really makes your work stronger. Um, and I've loved seeing that on this film. And my hope is that the audience, um, you know, uh, comes out and shows their support for, for, for these types of movies so that there's, there's no excuse for people to think that, that um, you know, we shouldn't be telling stories from, from all different types of voices, all different types of places, and that there's a market for it. I, I think it's something that... Um, that you know there's a real thirst for and and I hope to see a lot more of it in the future. I got to tell you I saw the movie and as a Colombian uh it didn't matter that it was from Mexico it didn't matter what mattered to me was that you guys got it right. I almost cried 3 times was the number that I was at by the end of the film and it was so amazing to see uh the color brown of skin just like myself uh on screen and it, I think that was part of why I was a little overwhelmed because I had never seen that at that level uh, on a Disney Pixar film. So I think it comes at a moment where um, it's extremely important to see uh, ourselves represented. And and at the same time, uh, there's so much going on in the world that's negative to see something full of love, life, and family. I think it's a great message. So Adrian, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast uh, this afternoon. Thank you so much. If you've been itching to learn how to become a screenwriter or director, you might find Guillermo Arriaga's new class in Los Angeles very interesting. He has won 33 film awards in his career and has worked with A-list actors such as Charlize Theron, Jennifer Lawrence, amongst many more. Guillermo, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. No, thank you very much. Guillermo, um, I ha- the first time I met you was at the red carpet premiere of The Burning Plane that took place in Manhattan at the Sunshine Cinemas. 
And it was the first time mm-hmm. for me that I had a chance to meet you. I think you were with your wife and children. Um, Charlize Theron was there. But then there was a, a young actress <laughs> that I had never seen before by the name of Jennifer Lawrence uh, who was there. And I think it was her third film. You had uh, cast her. Um, and she was not famous at all. She actually was the nicest, sweetest girl, but obviously had no clue of what the future was going to hold for her. Um, I'm not sure if you remember those days, but uh, that was the first time that I had met you. Well, um, Jennifer certainly have an idea that the future here was going to have, because I wrote her a letter saying, um, watch out, girl, because you're going to be a very important actress. You're going to be as nominated as Meryl Street. You're going to win tons of Oscars. So be prepared. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I want Jennifer Lawrence that she was going to be great. She still called the other day. She called me and said, how you knew it? And, um, I say, it was obvious, my dear. Your talent is, you cannot hide your great, great talent. Wow. You guys still keep in touch? Well, yeah. You know, because she, she, is, um, she was hacked. She changes her email address uh. and her phone number very often. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's difficult to, to, to keep on with, uh, with so many changes. But yeah, yeah sometimes we, we call. She was, she was a good friend of my daughter. Yeah, basically the same age. Wow, uh, they get along very well. They get along very well while they were at the at, at the set. So it was fun to see the two girls. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, Guillermo, um, you are a respected filmmaker. You've won over thirty three film awards in your career. You've uh, written, directed um, some of the most memorable films in Hollywood. Um, and now you want to share your wisdom um, as you close in at the age of sixty. And I feel like you, you have a lot to teach. And so you're going to be teaching a class in Los Angeles about screenwriting and yeah. filmmaking. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, why this is taking place and, and, and what can we expect from this class? Well, the, the University of Guadalajara Foundation invited me this 28th of, uh, of November. I am very honored to be invited. I, I was a, a, a professor for 30 years in several universities. I've been teaching a seminar around the world in places like New Zealand, uh, Australia, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, uh, England, Spain. So um, they invited me as part of the of the activities the University of Guadalajara is, is doing to favor the, the culture and the um, connection between Mexico and the United States. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be teaching this 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 class. Uh, I'm gonna be talking to to people at 28. This is something that anyone can can assist, from very seasoned, experienced writers or directors to uh, young students or even housewives. <laughs> okay. What I'm trying to do in my, but yeah, because you know something, there there are many housewives that they think they're story is worth telling. So along the years, I have some dentists, politicians, housewives, actresses, actors. I want to tell a story. That's and right. This same this this masterclass is exactly the same as the one I had in teaching, for example, to the global writers in Brazil. Uh-huh. Um, I've, been, I've been hired to 
to talk to filmmakers who have already have three or four films on the backs. So it's, it, it, it will work either for experienced writers to the very novice ones. You know, I was going to ask you that. Um, what what topics in specific will you be covering in this class? You know, um, most 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 of the um, of the writing seminars they have a very uh, tight structure. What I want to 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 tell the, the the people who will attend the writers is that the first rule of writing is that there are no rules. That every story uh, has a different structure. That every writer has a different process, and it's uh, it's about uh, discovering this process. So I use I use my own experience as a writer, producer, and, and director, and I say, look. I wrote this and doesn't work. Look uh, how 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 it how it uh, develops in with the actors in, in the scene. Mm-hmm. Or look, this one works. So I give I give tips that have been working for me. I I, I explain my my mistakes and why they were mistakes or why they were uh, good things to to talk about. So it's um it's it's uh, it's uh, opening my process to everyone and, and, and tell what it works and what doesn't. How long is the course and will the course be in Spanish or English? It's gonna be it's gonna be in English. It's gonna be in English since I'm gonna be in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna be in English and it's it's gonna be six hours long. You know one of the one of the one of the great things about this is that is that being able to 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 sit down and talk to you is great, but being able to ask you questions is even better. Um, because I'm sure that the process of writing and filmmaking and telling stories is very subjective. So as you said, there are no rules. So what rules will you try and establish, though, in the class? What I present to writers, more than rule, is ways to approach the material that will work, that will work for them. I, I, I want to free many people of, uh, of this rigid kind of... Uh, Structures they, they they have been taught, and to find ways, and and how to to unblock the creativity. That that's that's what I'm trying to to do with uh, with this master class, to show that these very these there are many avenues to write, and how you can approach these avenues. Of course, there's there's this theory of the three acts that's very clear, and in this stage you have to do. Uh, a turning point in this page, you have a two-dollar turning point. It's page by page, but I haven't used it in my life. Mm-hmm. So, I, I want to tell people, you know, there are these examples of how it can work, and you can you you can always go to the three acts. If you feel lost, you can always go there. But if you want to explore, these have the avenues to explore it. Um, Guillermo. Um- Right now, as you watch, I'm sure you watch movies and, and, and maybe some television shows here and there. Um, you know, there's movies that fail and movies that succeed. What do you think is the secret to writing a great story? This is, this is something that cannot be in your hands. Yeah, I think that you have to commit to write the story the best, the best possible and shoot it in the best possible way. But it's almost impossible to know what the audience is is is, is gonna is gonna like. This is even like like politics. 
Um, if you release your film two months before, it will be a success. Two months later, it will be a failure. Right. You have the elections two months before, we have one kind of president. Two, two months later, we have another kind of president. Because the, the social issues, they go so fast uh, that they, they, they can change the lock of a, of a film. So whatever is in your hands is to write the story as well as you can. And sometimes uh, some films that were not successful at the moment, they become very successful for many reasons. Uh, I can tell you, for example, The Brain Plane was not a huge uh, box office success. But since Jennifer became uh, a very famous actress, it became, it became a cult movie among Jennifer Lawrence fans. Right. So now it's 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 the world it's worldwide acceptance of the film. It's a moment. It has been selling very well. So that's the kind of things that happen. So you better focus on telling the story the best way possible. By the way, speaking of great stories, um, you uh, wrote a novel by the name of Esquadron Guillotina, which you're finally going to return back to filmmaking to uh, to film it. And I understand it's a family affair. Uh, you haven't made a film since 2008. I know you've had some shorts. I know you've written some novels. But why did you take almost 10 years to make a feature-length film? Because I was, I was writing novels. And uh, the novel I wrote is called The Wild One, El Salvaje. It took me almost six, six years to write it. And I was completely immersed in it. But at the same time I was writing the novel, I, I produced films. Um, I produced the, the uh, film called From Far Away, Desde Allá, a Venezuelan film, which was the first uh, Latin American film uh, to win the Golden Lion in Venice. Mm -hmm. And I co-wrote the story of that film. I produced a film about religion called Words with Gods, that has music by Peter Gabriel and, and, and uh, has great directors like Inicus Turica, Alex de la Iglesia, Hector Barenco, Mira Naif. At the same time, I was directing uh, short films to not to lose my my directing, um, how you say, my fitness. Right. Your sharpness. <laughs> so so that, 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 that's the reason I was, I was like not uh, making films because I was writing novels. And novels, as any writer can tell you, it's a very jealous uh, enterprise. So I devoted myself almost like a monk to write wow. 12 hours every day for almost six years. So that's the reason why. Is it is it true? I heard a story where you said that you were never going to ever work for... Uh, another director and that the only way you would ever direct again was if you could only direct your own movies or if you were if you had the ability to work with your children is this true yeah it's true i i, I will i will not write for other director um i am if i write i would like to direct it myself but why like is that to direct why is that? Do you feel that you're that you have to have so much control over your work that you don't you can't entrust it in someone else's hands? No, 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 no. no. It's not about control. It's about collaboration. I love collaboration. Collaboration, and I, I been here so many so many years by myself writing novels that I want to go out and direct mm -hmm. either my own material 
or someone else's uh, screenplay. But I, I really want to direct now. I, this is another stage of my life. So if I write, I will write. I would like to write something that I will direct myself or my kids. Right. Right away, they, they, they work together as directors. The brothers Arriaga, it's Mariana, my daughter, and Santiago, my son. They work together as directors. So I, 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 I want to, to write for them. And so, so the movie that that uh, that you're doing next is called Esquadron Guillotina. It was a novel that you had created around or published around 1991. So it's been in your hands for quite some time. Um, it sounds to me like your children are going to be either writing it or co-directing it with you. Tell us a little bit about Esquadron Guillotina. Esquadron, Esquadron Guillotina, uh, I will direct it myself. They're going to help me to produce produce it, but I will oh, okay. be I will be the the, the sole director. And I wrote a screenplay, part of the original trilogy I wanted to direct, which is um, the trilogy that was Upon Up in Sky, the first screenplay of that trilogy. Next one was Amores Perros, and next one was 21 Grams. The way I envisioned uh, this trilogy began with uh, Upon Up in Sky. But I sold the rights to a company, and I just got them back. So that, that screenplay, Upon Up in Sky, A Cielo Abierto, is going to be directed by my kids. That's the real original story of the trilogy I, I designed. That's fantastic, Guillermo. Um, listen, and before I let you go, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Hollywood for a second. You know, uh, John Leguizamo recently wrote an article on Billboard uh, magazine about the underrepresentation of Hispanics in the Hollywood community. Uh, I know Mexicans have achieved probably the most amount of success out of every. Uh, Latino culture out there and they've done it in almost every major category from best picture to directors to cinematography, uh, etc. But the only one they really haven't done anything with is or made any achievements uh, has been in acting. Besides the acting, what else do you feel that the Latino community needs to do to improve or to be better represented year in and year out in Hollywood? Well, first of all, I think that the Latino community is growing and when I say growing, it's not only numbers. I think it's growing in the impact of the culture, in the impact even of the food, in the impact of the economy, in the impact of the social relations. So the, the Latino community is having more and more and more power. And, uh, and, and, soon, and soon we're going to be stories that will depict uh, with justice who we are and all the problems that the Latino community has in, in, in the, the United States. And the Latino community, not only as a whole, but as, um, as um, the different nationality, because it's not the same experience of a Cuban who was running from Castro to a Mexican who went there because their, their uh, parents were illegal aliens. It's a different experience. So I hope that the cinema and literature and art in general will portray the, 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 the lives of, of these persons that are greening um, in the United States. Well, Guillermo, thank you so much for your time um, and for everyone else that wants to uh, take the class uh, from Guillermo Arriaga, this master class on screenwriting and filmmaking. It's happening on November 28th at the Los Angeles Theater Center. The workshop's going to be done in English and you can find more information online. Guillermo, thank you so much for uh, being on the, on the podcast and looking forward to your new movie, Esquadron Guillotina. Okay, thank you very much, Jeff.
Fox's action comedy Lucifer is back for season three, and Amy Garcia, who plays Ella Lopez, hops on to discuss the show's appeal, but also how her Hispanic heritage has inspired many young Latinas to feel that they too can achieve their dreams in Hollywood. Amy, glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I'm Colombian, uh, Colombian-American. I uh, just uh, was reading up on you and found out that you're Mexican and Puerto Rican. I am, but I actually went to Colombia a couple years ago. What? I loved it. <laughs> okay, so was that vacation? Was that business? Vacation, vacation. I went to Bogota, and then I remember going to La Chorrera, which is like this huge waterfall. I hiked for like 45 minutes with my friend who lives there. But wait a minute. So, awesome. <laughs> so, wait, so, so was this something that was recommended to you for, for uh, from a friend or, or was this something yeah. you read in a magazine yeah, and you're like, there. I got to go? No, 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 no. She lives there. She actually works for the CIA. Whoa. And, um, and she, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt mucho safe. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, I want to do something that I would do if I lived here. And so she... He was like, I got it. I've been wanting to do this hike forever. And um, and yeah, I think it was called La Chorrera. And it was amazing. We literally hiked for like 35 minutes. It was one of the most beautiful waterfalls I've ever seen. And right outside of Bogota. And it was a great day trip. And I just thought, oh, I have to come back here. Oh, well, so, you yay. know. So it, that's my experience with Colombia. <laughs> I love Bogota, but what they say is like the jewel of Colombia and maybe even South America is Cartagena, which is on the coast of oh, Colombia. Yeah. yeah, but that's I felt like that was a place you gotta go with with, with a special someone. Yeah, you know, oh, okay. I, was, I see I what you're saying. And I'm like, I'm gonna save that for when I'm you know, <laughs> for when I'm I'm with a special someone and then I'll go to Cartagena because it's a very romantic place. You got Lucifer, um it's already in its third season. What do you think is the main appeal of the show? I think it's the fact that the person or the celestial being you would least expect to seek redemption is seeking redemption. And I think there's something very universal about being human and having regrets and fall flaws and wanting to be better. And I think that we look at this charming, charismatic, handsome actor and think, well, if the devil can seek redemption and be forgiven mm -hmm. by God, then so can we. And so can anyone, right? So right. it's. Um, I think it also doesn't take itself too seriously. I think it's really a one-of-a-kind show in that, yes, you see larger-than-life celestial demons fighting angels, and, and, and you have these you know, these creatures that are, are, are centuries and centuries old and you have these biblical, you know, these biblical people come back into the story and, and it has this kind of, this grand, grand, grandioso aspect to the mm -hmm. show, but it's mm -hmm. also really, really funny and, and really grounding in that it deals with, you know, unrequited love which is a very universal thing. I think we've all been in love with someone who didn't love us back or dealing with, you know, being a single parent or dealing with having to work with an ex and dealing with female friendships and male friendships and all those things that are very human and grounding. So we have that too. And then we also have like our case of the week, but, um, but it's just one of those shows that I think is especially in the world where you turn on the news and get depressed and then you turn on the other news channel and you get more depressed <laughs> and then you watch a one-hour drama and it's even more depressing. We're the kind of show where we're full of heart 
Right. You're going to get amazing stunts and action sequences, but you're also going to cry when you least expect it, and you're also going to laugh out loud. So for me, there's not a lot of shows that are especially in the one-hour format that you can see, you know, even something simple as the scientist, right? I'm the scientist on the show, but last or a couple weeks ago, I went undercover as a Vegas showgirl, Miss Congeniality style, and went to Vegas and did a full-on show-stopping Vegas number with the devil. <laughs> and and in what, on what other show are you going to, are you going to, are you going to see that, right? So it's just a kind of this one-of-a-kind show with amazing cast chemistry, and I think it's really funny, and I think that the best types of stories have heart and humor, and and that's what I think we have in spades. And, and we've kind of been the show, like I said, I mean, I mean we keep beating really high-profile shows, and, and, and we have this crazy international fan base and domestic fan base, and... And I think it's all word of mouth because it's just hitting that spot where people can find and see a little romance and, and laugh and just feel like they're not alone in the world. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's that's interesting um, is that you're as a Hispanic actress, it's great to see you have fun, but it's also great to see you working so much. Um, you've had a great career, woman, you know, uh, it, 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 in a place where John Leguizamo writes a, an article for the, for, for Billboard and talks about the underrepresentation of Hispanics in, in Hollywood, film mostly, television as well. He just did a, uh, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to come to New York and see John Leguizamo. I know you work with him, um, in a, a, a lies and alibis. What was it? Um, I'm not sure if, if, if you guys have kept close, but in New York, he has a show called uh, Latin History for Morons that I just had a chance to see the other day. And it's basically him sort of teaching uh, anybody who's non-Hispanic a little bit about Hispanic history. And the, hmm. the, the, the point of the whole thing towards the end of the show is it's great to be brown. It's great to 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 be able to... To, to live in your skin, but also to be proud of who you are and not be judged or be invisible in the limelight. Because I think what happens, and I think his big beef was, what does he tell his kids when there are no Hispanics on TV, in media, in theater, in film, anywhere? Um, what do they look up to? Uh, you know, you have little boys and little girls who says, well, you know, Obama is president. I can do that too. But what happens when you don't see yourself represented anywhere? So in your particular case, you're doing so much work. You have almost become sort of like this beacon of, of, of success for a lot of Hispanics. Have you ever seen yourself that, man, I got to carry sort of this Hispanic flag on me for everyone else, for every Hispanic viewer or do you not see yourself under that guise? Well, um, I I had my first experience of realizing that the choices I make professionally affect um, young girls socially when I was on the George Lopez show and I had five young girls come up to me. And they, it literally was like the United Nations. It was like an Asian girl, an African-American girl, a white girl. And, and, a, and a Latin girl, and they all ran up, and they said, we love you on George Lopez. Veronica's hysterical and so funny, and 
so bratty and we love her and she's so stylish and oh my gosh, she's the best. And and at that moment I realized, wow, I'm playing a millionaire on TV. I was Andy Garcia's daughter, George Lopez's niece, and I realized that I was the only Latina millionaire on any sort of Insane. Of media. That's the stuff but that's <laughs> and, the stuff that we criticize because we're always being yeah. seen as thugs and drug dealers and maids and for example, devious maids, et cetera, et cetera. And here you right. are contrasting and actually elevating uh, the image of the Hispanic actor to where they should be, you know, on equal footing with every other ethnicity or race on film. Yeah, and so I guess that was the first moment that I realized, wow, I'm not just working to pay rent. I'm, I'm also, I also have a like an ambassador know, responsibility to choose exactly to choose my roles wisely. And so I, 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 I completely took that you know, baton with, with honor. And, and since then, I really just try to focus on doing the work and being not only great, but being like my personal best, because that's what I can control. And I've been really fortunate. I mean, on, you know, on Peter Berg's show, I was able to represent, um, you know, a, mil- a, hel- a military helicopter pilot who flew Black Hawk. And in Afghanistan and in Robocop, I got to work alongside Michael Keaton and Gary Oldman and, and Joel Kinnaman and play a scientist in the future. And that mm-hmm. role wasn't written Latina, but I said, why can't a Latina be a physicist, a right. scientist, an engineer? So they, so Jose Padilla, who was the director in that, who is currently directing Narcos, you know, thought the same and hired me. And, and, and I thought, wow, here's a hundred million dollar budget movie where people all over the world are going to get to see a Latina as, as a scientist. So I, I definitely feel like it's changing. I mean, my role honestly is one of my favorite roles I've ever played. Um, they call her the Latina, you know, they're like, she's not even the Latina. They're like, she's the female Peter Parker because she speaks (laughs) Klingon. She speaks French. She speaks Spanish. She's clumsy. She has no filter. She doesn't know when to stop talking. Smartest person in the room. But she's also from Detroit, so she knows how to pick a lock. I mean, it's such an interesting character, and and I I feel like it's um, I think it's a lot of pressure to think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm because I'm not alone. I mean, I just went to Eva Longoria's house um, a couple of weeks ago. Ferrara and Gina Rodriguez and Rosario. Oh Dawson my God. And Gloria Calderon, who created, and we literally created a Latina mafia, you know, spearheaded <laughs> by Eva and, and American. Gina. I love so, that. So this is not, I, I'm definitely not alone, you know, like Stephanie Beatriz, who just did an incredible oh, film yeah. that's I, out. Uh, so, I think it's called so, uh, Light of the Moon. I just interviewed her for the, for our podcast. Yes, yeah. So, so, so I actually don't feel alone at all. I feel like, I feel part of a greater community, mm-hmm. um, and 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 even though someone did tell me the other day that Ella Lopez is currently the only Latina scientist on on primetime TV, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't. Think I that think that's it is. I think, I think she should be one of many. Yeah. But um. But I will say I I, I remain super optimistic. I mean, Eva Longoria sells a show every year, and like I said, Gloria is working with Norman Lear, and they just got picked up for another season, and it's an incredible show with Rita Moreno and Justina Machado, and and I I feel like I keep seeing Latinas represented in a... I just did a, a Mexican vigilante superhero movie where I play, you know, I play a, a young woman from East L.A. who 
who goes off and gets their college degree and then comes back and teaches the community. And, and I feel really proud that I'm the female lead in this Mexican superhero movie. Wait, wait, so, so hold on. I, I, I love this. I love this premise. So who's directing? What's the name of the film? And when is it, when is it coming so out? It's being directed by Ben Bray and Joe Carnahan is producing along with Lorenzo wow. and who, as you know, did uh, of course one of the best producers in the world. Yeah, it's called El Chicano, and it's a Mexican uh, a, a superhero movie that stars Raul Castillo from Looking and Atypical, who's actually a New Yorker, and I play his fiance, and it's it's incredible. You know, it, it just it, there's the ten lead actors are all Latinos, and it's a great story about East LA, and 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 I I feel like the world is ready, even with Coco coming out, right? It's I just, just interviewed the director Adrian Molina. Film. Yeah, I just. I feel like like it's 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 changing and 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 I'm really excited. So I, I, I am a Pollyanna of sorts, so I do always tend to see the glass half full. But I will say I am I feel stoked that 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 I get to represent a a woman in STEM, that I get to represent, you know, a woman in a superhero genre that I get to be part of a comic book series that I just did a movie with Michael Shannon and Hillary Swank and I get to play a doctor and, and, and there's no reference of why I'm listening on a doctor. I'm just a doctor. Right. That's you know? the future and, though. And- that's the future. When we start ignoring, um, sort of ethnicity and races and culture and the actor just becomes an actor and there's no question of, uh, it's history or anything like that. And, and it's going to take time, like you said, but you're, actually experience it in real time correct oh 100 percent. i mean i mean like i said ella lopez on on lucifer when 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 we go to comic-con i mean she's become they dubbed her the avatar of the fan so what that <laughs> says to me is that she transcends whatever you know nationality whatever skin color she is because she gets to play a woman who is not self-conscious, which I love more than anything. She's not defined by a romantic relationship. She's not defined by her sexuality. She's defined by her heart, job, her family, and her friends. And she's in her own lane, and she is her own person. And the amount of tweets that I get from men and women saying, thank you for beating to your own drum. Thank you for always hugging on the series and spreading love. Thank you for being a positive role model. I'm a scientist and I'm a physicist. And, you know, it just, I feel like it's, it's, she's not popular because she's Latina. She's popular because Joe Henderson and Ildi, who are showrunners and are writers, wrote this great character. And I am lucky enough to play her. And, and, and I have an incredible cast. And, and she gets to represent all sorts of people who never felt like they were in the inner circle, right? And so it's my dream role, and and I love it, and I think that the reason she's become such a beacon of the fans and such a fan favorite is because she is just such an interesting character who happens to be Latina. Right. But the most important thing it's the, is like the that secondary she's thing, the tertiary well-rounded, thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. She's this well-rounded character who is smart, who is full of surprises. They call her Rain Man. She's a card counter. She knows how to pick locks. And when they ask who taught her how to pick locks, she's like, my abuelita. She's multilingual. She's, you know, like I said, she's clumsy. She, she's like the, the chess champion. 
I mean, she is just literally like Rain Man meets Peter Parker. And tell me another character, male or female, on any sort of digital platform or movie or, you know, I feel like she's just in her own lane to the point where even Gunn started following me on Twitter. And now I've, and we're like social media friends because I think he watches the show. And, and, and I feel like she's got this almost voice that's a very unique, almost Buffy the Vampire. Right, right, right. Acerbic kind of, I mean, she's just... She's just so fun that that the fact that her last name is Lopez is just icing on the cake, and and hopefully, I don't even think it's the future. I, I think it's I think it's it's, it's the now. present. And yeah. if you look at if you look at Disney shows, a lot of them are headlined by Latinas. Oh know, yeah, like Bella Thorne, Cuban, Victoria Justice, Selena Gomez, Gomez right? Yeah, she's the biggest. So I, the future to me is very bright, and. Um, and so I, I, I'm giddy with excitement and, and I, and I'm so, and I'm, and I'm definitely grateful. But yes, I have been very lucky and I, and I do seem to, you know, always work, which, uh, which is a huge blessing. Well, congratulations on that. And before I let you go, I want to go through a couple of, uh, cool lifestyle questions just to kind of get a sense, uh, you know, for your persona a little bit. You mind? No, not at all. All right, cool. What is a movie that you should love, but you don't? Oh gosh, that is a really good one. I I'm partial to the original Blade Runner. I know oh, everyone yeah. loves the new one, um, but I'm just old school, and I love I love the old one. Of that, course, that the original. Crazy. I don't know because I know it's a remake, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 partial to the original, um, even though I know everyone was like, "Oh, Blade Runner is great," and I'm like, uh, I like I like the old one," but I'm cool, just Blade Runner. Fan. It's so unfair. Yeah. Greatest act of kindness you've ever witnessed. God, that's a really good one. Well, I um, was mugged and... Um, when was this? <laughs> I got mugged like five years ago and... Um, that's crazy. the guy... I know, the guy had a knife and took my purse away and I started and ran off and I ran after him. Like Ella Lopez would. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Ella Lopez would. And and a guy who I've never met, and and still to this day, I, he just jumped off his balcony. I guess he was on his porch or whatever. Holy cow! And just started running after this guy to the point where um, the guy jumped into, uh, I guess it was like his buddy's car, like a getaway car, and started pounding on the window. And and then the car drove off. And I, it was just a random stranger saw that I got mugged and literally jumped in front of me and the assailant and ran after him. Oh my God. This is like a scene out of Lucifer. This is like crazy. <laughs> oh, I wow. Know, I know. So it was very, it was very heroic. What is your most treasured possession? Oh my God. Family and friends. Hand, hands down. Most moving moment that made you cry. I guess what really gets me is unconditional love. And um, it's never tragedy with me it's always um you know people coming forward and helping remove rubble in in mexico after earthquakes or people flying a friend of mine flew to puerto rico on her own dime and just like you know started giving um uh canned goods to to people in puerto rico so i think lately what's really affected me is seeing how people have stepped up even more so sometimes in our own government. Mm -hmm. And it's been really heartwarming to see 
just people come to the aid of everything from donating blood, right? Like all those lines after Vegas and people flying and driving and, and, and um, championing for, for those that are weaker than them and those who need help. Those, those are always the moments that I just, I just, I, I just lose it. <laughs> My last one would be, is there an album that you'd recommend to everyone? Oh my God. Um, I mean, I'm going to go old school here. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go old school. I'm going to go Etta James's first album. I feel oh. like everyone should have that because she was, I think 20, I think she was 21 when, um, when she made her first vinyl. Um, and, and, and I think it's, I think, I think it's great. Amy, thank you so much for sharing all these amazing stories and congratulations on all your successes. I know that, that you are definitely an inspiration to so many young little girls and to the Hispanic population that sees you as someone that that has broken through a particular barrier and has broken uh, so many glass ceilings. So keep up the great work uh, and everyone check out Lucifer every Monday at 9 on Fox. Aw, thanks so much. That's it for episode 57 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Adrian Molina, Guillermo Arriaga, and Amy Garcia for taking the time out on this Thanksgiving weekend to join our humble show and thank you guys for listening from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be. I'd love to hear from you. Send me your questions or feedback to highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com. That's highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com. Also, if you like this U.S. Latino podcast, please share it on your social media apps. Tell your friends all about it. If you can, have them subscribe to the show. Hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. Stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. And see you next week on another episode of Highly Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.